Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Trip. Hello. What's up? If you were not here earlier, we have some projector issues. If you just see this thing flashing behind me the whole time, I can't fix it. And I've tried like 20 times. And we had a ladder up there, and it was working. And then two minutes before the service started, it stopped working. So anyway, um, one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is listening to God when many other things are trying to distract you. Um, and so it's kind of fitting that there's lots of things that are distracting this morning um, and distracting me this morning. And so I want to pray and ask the Spirit to speak to us, and then we're going to jump into the book of Mark in chapter 9. Um, Father, we, um, we love you. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak. Father, pray that you would open our hearts and our ears um, to hear what you want to say to us today. Father, pray that you um, would remove our blinders so that we would see you, that you would unclog our ears so that we can hear you, and that you would loosen our hearts so that we would follow you. Father, we, we desire these things, and we ask that your spirit would do that as we look into your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, if you have your Bible, you can open to Mark 9. It's not going to be behind me. Um, and so you're going to have to use it. We tell you sometimes to bring Bibles, and this is what happens when technology goes down and apocalypse happens, and you're going to need a Bible. Um, but you can try to find that on your phone. Um, Mark chapter 9, verse 30 is where we're going to start reading. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been in Mark chapter 9, and where we pick up in the story is um, Jesus takes a few of his uh, disciples up onto the mountain, and he reveals his glory to them. And God the Father says, this is my son whom I love. And then he says, listen to him. And so we've talked about that. And then, and then as, they're, as they're coming down uh, the mountain, as they're walking along the road, uh, a father comes along um, um, to Jesus with his son who had been possessed uh, by demons for many, many years. And despite the efforts of many religious leaders, um, and even Jesus' disciples, um, this demon will not listen and will not come out of him. And so Jesus walks over to this boy and he speaks and he tells the demon to leave the boy and never return. And this demon, who wouldn't listen to anyone else, listens to Jesus and leaves the boy. Which brings us to verse 30, where we pick up in the story. Notice this theme that's going on in this chapter. They left that place and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because Jesus was teaching his disciples. Just a quick side note here. I think oftentimes when I think about Jesus and his disciples, I think about Jesus and just like 12 guys. Um, you know, he's stopping in a few towns here and there and he's doing some miracles and he's talking. But as Jesus walked around and as he taught, there were many people that traveled with him more than just the 12. You can see this if you look at the comments and the, the texture behind the, the stories and the main stories we see. Really, in, in this last story where, where the demon was cast out, the disciples pull him aside and they ask him a question and say, why couldn't we cast out this demon? The reason why they had to pull him aside is because there was a larger crowd there and there was many other people that were traveling with him. Um, I think I, you ever wonder this, like, why are there religious leaders there all the time in the stories? 
And why did they know everything that Jesus said? There was no internet. There were no newspapers, if you're old enough to remember them. There were, there were no news channels to watch and see what Jesus was saying was going on. No, they were following him around, and they knew everything he said because they were traveling with him just like the other 12 disciples. And as Jesus traveled and as his, as his um, notoriety became more and more known, um, and his party grew and grew, and many women and men joined in and traveled together and followed Jesus around everywhere he want, went. And so in verse 30 here, what we see is that, uh, that he, he wanted to spend some intentional time with, with his closest disciples. He wants to prepare them for the future. And so he pulls them aside, and he takes them to his hometown in Galilee. I'm guessing maybe he stops at his, his childhood home and sees his mother, maybe his father and his brothers and sisters. He wants to see his family. And I'm just kind of reading into this a little bit, but based on, on what he tells his disciples, I wonder if, if, he's, if he's, he's, he's stopping there to just say goodbye to them. That maybe this is the last time he's going to see some of them on this earth. In any case, this was, this was an intimate time that Jesus was, was saying to his disciples, I want to take you aside and I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear this. I want you to be prepared. Take a look at what he says. And he says to them, Then the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now this isn't the first time that Jesus tells them that that he's going to die, and that he's going to be raised from the dead. If you remember back just one chapter earlier in chapter 8, Jesus teaches this same thing, and Peter says to him, Jesus, you can't do that. And Peter, Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, no, you can't die. You can't do those things. You're the Messiah. You need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to do all the things that, that all of us are hoping and praying that you would do. We want you to bring freedom. We, we want you to conquer Rome. We want you to place a Jewish king on the throne. We want to defeat all the enemies around us. And what does, Peter, what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. Maybe that's why they didn't want to ask him any questions. I don't know. But, um, but Jesus is basically saying, this is not what I'm about. I'm going to bring freedom, and I will sit on the throne, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that I am Lord over all. But you're not listening, Peter. You're focused on the now, right here and now. You're focused on the things around you and not things, not, and you're missing really what I'm trying to say to you. And as I thought about that, it made me wonder how often we are just like those disciples. Jesus speaks to us and we think we're listening and yet we don't actually hear what he's saying. And he says it over and over and over again. But too often we're concerned with the things around us in the current state of our lives, in the current state of what's going on, that we miss his voice altogether. And if you've been with us at any time, uh, you know that we we have some dialogue. And so I want to kind of ask a question around that. What, What are some areas of life that can often clog your ears and maybe clog your heart from actually hearing Jesus? I've got a few. Anxiety about finances. Yeah, we're so concerned about our money and whether we're going to have enough or not. What's the truth about that? 
What's the truth about our finances? Anyone can answer. What's that? Yeah. God is ultimately the provider. Right? Yeah. He's in control of even our finances. And he gives his kids good gifts. Yeah. What are some other things? The other side of that. The other side of that. Go for it. Trusting your stuff. Trusting in your stuff. Yeah. I'm putting all my faith in what I see around me and the security that I'm able to like accomplish. Unbelief, what do you mean by that? Like, I guess if you just don't believe that God is like sovereign over everything and then that can be in control, or like you just are kind of coming in and out of, um, yeah, just believing in his word and his promises. Yeah, believing that what he says is true and then not believing it, in and out. And based on the things around us, we often flip-flop on that, don't we? Yeah, Miles. Yeah, our culture often is teaching us things over and over again, saying, this is true, this is true, this is true. And then we read the Bible, and Jesus says, no, that's not the actual reality. Yeah, good. What else? I think also the fear that like, what he has in store might hurt me or not be good for me. Mm, yeah. What he actually wants us to walk into may seem too painful, and it's not going to be actually helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. What else? What are some areas of life that, that clog our ears and our hearts? Just like my own pride, like the inability to believe that I am needy or that I need help or that, um, yeah. Yeah. Anything. I'm sufficient on my own, or I can make it, I can figure out how to put the things together to get me what I need, at least what I think I need. Yeah. Yeah. When it's not what I expected or how it was supposed to work. Yeah. I quickly close my ears to what he wants to say. Yeah. Yeah, we're often people that are just seeking comfort rather than listening. Yeah. It's good. I think that plays out often, I think, in politics, right? That's one of the ones I thought of right away. I think our eyes and our hearts get so consumed by, by who's going to be the next president or who's, on the, who's president now or who's gonna, that we miss Jesus saying, I'm actually the one on the throne. And I'm actually the one that sets up kings and rulers. And I'm the one that, that puts anyone into power. And I place them there so that you would see them and that you would realize that they're going to fail you and that you need me. Yeah. I think we can do that in relationships often. With our, could be with our parents, could be with our kids, could be coworkers. What they say to us often is louder and speaks more to our hearts than what Jesus says to us or what says about us. I want to encourage you as you, as you leave this place, when you go home, um, to, to just find some, some quiet space to, and time to reflect. 
to ask and, and confess areas of your life that are speaking louder to you and causing you not to hear the voice of God. And ask the Spirit to, to reveal those things to you. Because there's so many things in our lives that make us do this often with Jesus. So Jesus is here and, and he's spending time with his disciples in his hometown. And then that he leaves his hometown, he travels about 16 miles um, to Capernaum, which is a city of about 1,500 people. So it's a lot larger than his hometown. And it's on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's actually the town where, where Matthew, one of his disciples, was from. And so my guess is maybe they went from Jesus' house to Matthew's house. And, and they get to this destination and Jesus asked the disciples this simple question about their journey in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was about at the house, or when he was, when, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they take a little trip, and the disciples are arguing on the road. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a parent, and your kids are able to articulate anything at this moment, it kind of encourages me that Jesus goes through the same sign of suffering. <laughs> he had arguing on the road. I don't know what it is about traveling. Um, I've got plenty of ideas about it. But when we get in the car, there's these demons that live in my car. <laughs> the demons of arguing and fighting and complaining and who's in power, and she touched me, and she looked at me, and I'm the best, and you're not, and I don't know if that ever sounds familiar to you. Maybe, maybe you've had that conversation in your car. Maybe you're part of that conversation. Um, but I think the reality is um, it's easy to kind of pick those out in a car, but as adults, we aren't any different than kids. We just get a little bit more sophisticated in how we make those arguments and how we fight for position on the road of life. So Jesus endures this same mess with his disciples. And when he gets there, when he gets to, to where he's going, he sits down in this house um, and he asks them a question. A question he already knew the answer to. He was on the road with them. He could hear them arguing. He knew what they were arguing about. Verse 34. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Pretty classic, isn't it? Just crickets. They all knew Jesus knew what they were arguing about, and no one wanted to say it. I think they also knew that Jesus was asking a deeper question, as he always does. He was asking the heart behind their argument and why they were prideful or why they were, where they were unwilling to admit their own part. They stay silent. I can kind of imagine the disciples looking across the table at one another, Maybe glaring a little bit, sending some unsaid messages with their eyes and their, their faces. No one wanted to, be, to speak. None of his disciples wanted to be exposed. You see, Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? I think it's sometimes why we don't listen. We want to stay right where we are. We don't like being exposed. We don't want to admit that we're broken. Sure, we'll say we have brokenness, but then we compare ourselves with someone else who we deem as having more faults and more brokenness than us. Being exposed by Jesus is too raw. It's too naked. 
I don't want to be that exposed in front of him or in front of other people. And so we sit in silence, feeling justified, even though deep inside we know we're broken. See, the good news is that Jesus doesn't allow his disciples to stay in that state. He pursues them. He sits down with them. He sits in a comfortable space, and he knows what's going on, and he goes after their hearts. He speaks truth into their lives. He asks them questions. And the good news is Jesus still does that same thing today. I trust that he's even pursuing you right here in this moment. And Jesus wants to walk down every winding trail of your heart and quietly and tenderly but boldly speak words of life, words of healing to you. This interaction that he has right next with his disciples is really evidence of Jesus' love for his followers, his followers, all of his followers. Please hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he wants you to experience his healing. He wants you to be whole. He wants to continue to speak his words to you, his words of truth to your heart. Take a look at how Jesus speaks to his disciples' hearts. They're fighting for position, and he says this in verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is a very intimate moment, and kind of a window into the scene, into the story of Jesus and his disciples sitting in this, in this living room in the home. And Jesus makes this very profound statement about serving. And in the same breath, Jesus takes a child into his arms. This Greek, here, this Greek word here for, for taking a child into his arms really kind of has two definitions. It means to, put, to take one into your arms to embrace, but it also means to, to have a bent arm as to receive a burden. It's embracing a burden. And as Jesus takes this, this child into his arms, it's really a picture of our reality. You see, one thing that every child has in common that has ever walked this planet, is they're needy. They're very needy. And the problem is, as we grow up, and as we listen to other voices, they tell us, mask your need. Cover them up. We convince ourselves we can care for our own needs. We often look at at neediness as a sign of weakness. I know I do. We don't want to be the needy one. But the truth is, need is our only currency with God. It's our only currency. And the good news is, 1 Peter 5 tells us that we get to really cash in that currency, that we get to cash, cast, cast our needs on Jesus, for he cares for us. He loves us. And he can handle our needs. See, Jesus is giving really this, this visual picture of a child here, um, this picture of servanthood. He says, you want to fight for position, but the position that I'm looking for 
is someone who willingly embraces and put their, puts their arms around other people's burdens. Which, by the way, is what I just told you I was going to do. I just told you I was going to go to the cross and be killed. And that I was willingly going to embrace the burden of every human being. But I'm not going to be overwhelmed by these burdens. I will rise from the dead and make a way for every burden to be relieved and be removed. See, Jesus is saying the definition of greatness in my kingdom is someone who exposes their need, someone who casts their need on me, and someone who out of their need willingly embraces the needs of others. That's the definition of greatness. It's a very different definition than what we often think of when we think of greatness. And I sense that, that we're often, like these disciples, wanting positions of leadership. But if we knew that was actually the job description, my guess is the applications would go way down. There wouldn't be many resumes that got turned in. I think one of the problems is we, we often don't see, very, we don't see leaders lead like this. In our culture, we have a hard time of, of even hearing this and putting practical feet to, to what that would look like in life. And so let's help each other a little bit. Let's, let's, let's interact over this. What, what would that person look like in the everyday? What would it look like if you were a person or, or someone was a person who exposed their needs, who cast their needs on Jesus, and willingly embraced the needs of others? What do you think that would look like practically? Told you it's gonna be hard. Just being open about the things that cause us to feel shame with the people in our DNA or maybe the national community, and then being a compassionate listener for those around you doing the same thing. Yeah, it's good. It's it's both exposing and and listening. Yeah, good. What else? Okay. Yeah, someone who willingly like takes other people's shame. Yeah. In a healthy way. We can do that wrong too, right? Yeah. Like a child. Yeah, just like what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah. There would be deep authentic relationships. There'll be no hiding. Yeah. I think when you got upset with someone, you would be slower to blow up at them and more aware of your own, the times where you have harbored resentment and anger against someone, the times where you, that was related to your own pain. Yeah. more able to see their pain underneath their anger. Yeah, we would look at the log in our own eye before we looked at the splinter in someone else's. Yeah, good. Ashley. Yeah, we'd be more willing to ask for help, yeah, and accept it. Sometimes that's hard, too. We don't want to be the needy one that accepts it. We probably pray more uh, and have a better relationship with God because you'd be more compassionate for the people around you, and you'd also be, you know, looking for the, the needs and, and things that you, you're aware of the needs that you have as well. Yeah, for sure. We We would... The more needy we know that we are, 
the more it makes us run to Jesus. It makes us more humble rather than prideful, thinking that we can cover it as we continue to ask and pray to him. Yeah, good. Yeah. Before we try to fix it for them, we would just run to Jesus with them. Yeah, good. We have less, less needs. We have less needs. We actually share those needs as people could actually meet those needs and then, you know, we'll take care of Yeah, as a community, those things would be more cared for, like we see in Acts. That first church, they were exposing their needs and sharing things that, the, that each other had. Yeah, good. I think um, there'd be less uh, trying to control people around us. Like if you're leading, you don't have to control people, even friends or family or anything, because you, you trust the Lord to change you, so you can trust the Lord with others too. Mm. So you don't have to always try and control them. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't be people having to be in control. Good. I think you bring less expectations into your relationships because instead of looking for people to fulfill something in you, you'd be looking for Jesus to do that. And you could accept people more for who they actually are and what they actually came to do. Yeah, good. Yeah, if you follow the life of Jesus, he, he listens really well, but he always listens to ask a question. And he's asking questions to get to the deep root of things, not to just be heard. Yeah, although Jesus should be heard, you know what I mean. Yeah, good. Yeah, we no longer have to hold on to things and bear the weight of holding that or hiding it. Yeah, there's freedom in that. Yeah, good. I think you might also, by exposing the needs, Jesus in your community speak into those needs. You might realize that they're not actually your needs. Mm. Yeah. It helps us get more clarity on what actually we're not believing about God and what He's actually provided for us at times. Yeah, good. We could look at time differently and our schedules differently. The more open hands and things weren't inconveniences, but rather opportunities to show Jesus to one another. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'd actually be able to listen to the voice of God in the, in the quiet moments, because there would be quiet moments. Yeah. I think we'd be quicker to see needs around us. Mm. Uh, the more we acknowledge it in ourselves, it wouldn't be something that we just, well, some people are okay, some people don't need, like it would just be something that we'd be more aware of, mm-hmm. and that, like the Lord would open our eyes to. Yeah. Definitely open our eyes to see other people's needs. And people would even, I think, sometimes see their own need when we expose our needs. 
They've been hiding it so well, they've hidden it from themselves. Yeah. I think sometimes when we talk about this, we think it's going to be really attractive. But for some people, it's not. It's not attractive. And so there's going to be the opposite effect of that as well. We see that in Jesus' life. Many people shunned him. When we walk in his kingdom, and we walk in these ways, it is life abundant, but it's also shunned by those who don't want to be exposed. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need other people to fulfill something that they can never fulfill because Jesus is filling those things. Yeah, good. I don't know if you noticed this, but this is, this is a, a, a being before doing. And I tell you, this, this is what Jesus wants. And he said, if you're willing to listen, this is abundant life, that you would understand who you are and that you would listen to me. Jesus finishes this section up by, by giving a warning to those who, who lead others and, um, and to listen to other voices and to listen to their own. And he uses some pretty descriptive language that oftentimes can, can make our brains run other ways. But I want to read from verse 42. And he warns against leading other people and, and really blocking out his words. Verse 42, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... So a child, someone who's in need, a follower of Jesus, anyone who, who sees their need and follows Jesus, they fit into that description. And so that's probably all of us, or hopefully in, in some ways, it's, it's every one of us is a person of need. So whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, would it be better for him to have a great millstone or hung around his neck and thrown into the sea? That's some pretty strong language. It's better for you to have a big rock around your neck and get thrown into the sea where you could drown than to lead someone to not hear me, to not listen to me. Some pretty strong language. It kind of reminds me of, of what he says um, about Judas. In Mark, uh, later on in Mark uh, 14, he's going to say this. He says, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. So he says, I'm willing to go. Nothing's going to stop uh, my words from coming true. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. It would be better if he had never been born. Jesus says that about Judas, who he knows is going to betray him and send him to the cross. But Jesus says, I know that's going to happen, but I'm willingly going to walk in that. But Judas is someone that we don't want to be, is it? I don't know any kids named Judas, really. I mean, no one's like picking out that Bible name to name their kid. Judah... No Judas's. Yeah. No, there's not too many Jezebels out there either, but um, anyway, as, as I think about these words of Jesus, uh, sorry, I'm distracting you so you're not listening to him anymore, um, or me. Um, these words of Jesus, I think, really show his heart to protect his children. 
And there's a strong caution here to make sure that the words we're speaking and the lives that we are living are pointing others to listen to Jesus above any other voice in this world. I think it's why James, in James chapter 1, it says that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we really need to take stock of our lives and make sure that we're following Jesus' voice because everything that you do and everything that I do and say loudly declares who you think God is. And regardless of how much influence you think you have, it does influence other people around you. Your life and your words influence other people and tell them about who you think God is. Verse 43 goes on and builds on this, and it says, not only just be careful about who you're influencing, but be careful about what you're speaking to yourself. You see, one of the greatest influencers in our lives is our own heart's desires. There's plenty of influencers out there now, right? Like, that wasn't even a thing when I was a kid. You didn't have to influence somebody by, like, putting on some makeup, and then everybody would buy that. But... But Jesus cautions here and says, he said, put a check on your internal voice. Ensure that what you're saying to yourself is in line with the words of God. We say that sometimes around here, like speaking the gospel to yourself. Verse 43, he says this, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If it is your foot that causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their worms do not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Those are some pretty heavy words. Some pretty heavy calls. You know, in, in our culture, we don't like to really talk about hell. It's not cool to talk about the wrath of God in our culture. We want to just talk about the love of God. Right? I was past the church the other day and it says, no judgment, love. I was like, well, you've missed part of it. <laughs> you know? Like, we need to be careful not to separate them. You see, if, if we only talk about love, people will not see their great need. And if we only talk about judgment, it will only lead to fear without hope. And we'll never see that our great hope comes out of our place of need. You can't have one without the other. Jesus always talks about both. Actually, if you whenever you see Jesus mention his death, he never mentions his death without talking about his resurrection. He doesn't. You can go and check. Read the whole Bible. Check it out. I encourage you to do that this afternoon. <laughs> it might take a little bit longer than that. But it's why Jesus' really definition of greatness in his kingdom 
is one who actually casts their need and actually one who runs to embrace the needs of others. You see, when we read this, we can easily get distracted, and many people have, and have gotten hung up on the the harsh language of Jesus here, um, which has led to really many false voices speaking for Jesus about what this means. But there's there's an author named John Bloom, and I think he gets it right when he says this. He says, Jesus uses the extreme metaphor of cutting off our hand and tearing out our eyes. Extreme danger calls for extreme measures of escape. Yes, the mutilation imagery is a metaphor, but is not hyperbole. We know it's a metaphor because the literal loss of a hand or an eye does not get to the root issue of sin. But radical and painful amputation of stumbling blocks out of our lives may be the only way to escape falling headlong into sin's insidious deceptive snare. It's both. I don't know if you've ever been sucked down into the hole of the internet before. Um, I have multiple times, um, and, and I'm just going to share this story with you. But one of, one of my holes is, 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 is flesh-eating diseases. <laughs> it's weird, I know. But I see these little stories, and it's like this pops up, and I was like, I need to read about that. <laughs> Has anyone ever read any of these stories? No, good, don't. If you're a hypochondriac, don't even think about it. Um, but if you read these stories, and now you probably will afterwards, um, there are these crazy stories of people who, who either get like bit by a little bug somewhere, or they get a small little cut, and a few days go by, and it like starts to itch a little bit, and it swells up a little bit, and they, they think it's uh, something that'll be okay. Maybe they take a little bit of medicine, and they just go on with their life. And a few weeks later, it still isn't healing, and it's starting to like blister up a little bit. It's starting to look a little infected, and it's kind of bigger spot now. And I've read a lot of these stories, and so I know the, I know the depths of them. Uh, I don't know. I came from a line of doctors. I don't know why. A lot of my family, there's a lot of people in the medical field, so I, sometimes my brain goes there. Anyway, um, this infection um, gets blistering up, and so they finally go into the doctor. They make an appointment, go in a few weeks later, and the doctor looks at it, and he discovers that it's this flesh-eating disease. I'm going to say it for you. It's called Nicaraculus, I don't know, it's probably wrong, fasciitis. I know that fasciitis is right, because that's the flesh part. But it's this flesh-eating disease where bacteria kills the tissue under the skin. And if you look at the pictures of them, um, they often have pictures. Um, The beginning picture, it it doesn't look that bad. It's maybe like a four on the disgusting scale. Um, but, But when they go to treat it, they find, these pictures are really disgusting. They're queasy. If, you, if you're queasy, don't Google it. Um, because what happens is that, is that bacteria infection um, starts to spread really, really fast. And what they have to do is they have to fillet open your body parts. So if it's in your leg, they just make these giant cuts in it. And there's this black, dead, this may be getting too disgusting for some of you. <laughs> this black dead flesh underneath there. And sometimes it's so bad that they end up cutting off the entire arm or the entire leg to save these people's lives. And if they wait too long, 
it's too late. And as I think about that, this is what Jesus is saying sin is like. It's like this festering, soul-eating disease that kills us under the surface. And Jesus is calling us to do the hard work of actually exposing our sin and exposing the other voices that are not speaking the truth of God and remove them and chop them out and get them out of our lives and replace them with the truth of Jesus. Replace them with the words of life. You see, the problem is, as sick and gross as that disgusting story may be, um, I think often we love our flesh-eating diseases more than we love Jesus. Our disease is more comforting. It's more familiar than Jesus. We may know it's killing us, but we don't want to do the hard work to expose it. You see, Jesus' warning here is actually loving. He's saying, please listen to me. Those things are not life. They are killing you. He's saying, I have the ability to cover and to heal. I have the salve to cover your brokenness. Listen to my words you loved child. I don't know about you, but do you want that in your life? Do you want Jesus to heal every part of your life? Jesus is calling. Just like he was calling the disciples to listen to him there, he's calling right now and he's saying, listen to me. I am the great healer. I want you to experience wholeness and truth. I want to leave you with this question to to think about and to consider as you leave here today. Where do you need to hear Jesus speak? Where do you need Jesus to hear Jesus speak in your life? Maybe another way to say that is, 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 what needs in your life are you currently trying to fill with something or someone else other than Jesus. My guess is, as you do that work, and as you ask the Spirit to expose those things, Jesus will enter in and give you wholeness and life and heal the brokenness that's inside of each one of us. Our Father, I pray that you would move in our, in our, in our body, Father, I pray that we would be people that are quick to listen to you, that we would be people who are willing to reveal our need of you, that we would be people that not just reveal need, but that we would take our need to you, and that as, we, as you heal us, that we would be people to quickly run to embrace the needs of others. Father, I pray that you would change our understanding of greatness, that we would be people that truly walked in servanthood in your kingdom. And Father, we pray that you would heal the brokenness in our hearts, that you would remove the voices that we've been listening to for so long, and that you would call us to listen to you once again. Father, restore us 
make us anew. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you took our judgment for us. Father, we thank you that we get to be people of need and that you are the one that can heal those things. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.